2: The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. UK inflation is becoming much more homegrown. We have huge potential as an economy in the UK.
3: This is a time to tell Israel there is a
2: path to peace. Our plan for the British economy is working, but the work is not
1: done.
4: You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden.
1: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. I'm somewhat reminded, looking at Lizzie Burden, who's practically levitating off her chair opposite me here, of uh, one of my favourite moments in the TV series, Will and Grace, and that's the I Told You So dance. Uh, Because Lizzie, I think if you were familiar with this, you would be doing the I Told You So dance right now uh, because... Go on, big reveal.
4: Well, like, listen to this. Britain's biggest asset manager, BlackRock, has effectively endorsed last week's episode of the Bloomberg UK Politics podcast, in which we discussed how Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer's political careers in 2024 will live and die by whether they learn the lessons of 2022, which was that the market is the guardrail on British politics. So you've had this warning from BlackRock's Vivek Paul, he's the UK chief investment strategist. He said, And I quote, as inflation falls in the UK and we get closer to the general election date, major UK political parties may be more tempted to promise looser fiscal policy. And the more this occurs, the greater the likelihood of the return of the bond vigilantes. What did I tell you, Stephen?
1: Two of our favourite words. I don't think I've ever seen you so happy.
4: No, it's because it's so easy for politicians to forget the markets in pursuit of votes. But as the lesson of Liz Truss showed, ignore the bond vigilantes at your peril. You
1: are giving Debbie Reynolds a run for her money with that, I told you so. Dance, Lizzie Burton. We do have uh, two of our experts to discuss what BlackRock have been talking about and another really interesting story actually about student loans that we'll get to in a minute. So Bloomberg Opinion columnist and resident Bond King Marcus Ashworth is with us as well as our UK economy reporter Lucy White. Um, Great to have you both with us. Uh, Lucy, could you take us through a bit of the the detail first of all of what what BlackRock are actually saying? Lucy's given us the headlines there of the argument from, from Vivek Paul, but what, in a nutshell, what are they telling us?
5: So essentially, the, the summary is that they're worried that higher spending plans from either political party could unnerve investors. So obviously, this is a, a similar kind of theme to what we saw um, in the aftermath of the Liz Truss election, uh, as Lizzie was saying. And you know, that's that uncosted, high spending plans could really shake up the bond market, uh, you know, unnerve investors um, and push yields higher.
4: Marcus, you are ever the contrarian. Is BlackRock right?
5: Uh, well, I wouldn't say
6: I'm contrarian. Honestly. I think I'm consensus. I think they're talking rubbish in the context that um, they're <laughs> neutral on this, uh, the UK market now, having been nicely long. Um, and we have the Office for Budget Responsibility preventing anything like a, a blowout uh, example as, as maybe gets blamed for... Uh, Partially fairly on on Liz trust, but there were a lot of other factors going on at the same time named the Bank of England, which I'll come back to in a second. So I don't see how uh, promises this year are going to affect the gilt market in any meaningful sense. What will affect the gilt market will be increased supply and indeed whatever the Bank of England continues to do by trying to destroy um, our taxpayers money by blasting out active quantitative tightening on the long end so i think they're much bigger factors GILTS have traded off quite sharply recently there's a 20-year auction which no doubt has gone very well today uh, along with uh, i know belgium and italy as well so it's not this mm-hmm. overall big demand after a, a big bond sell-off i don't see the bond market and uh, guilt market in any uh rearing up in any real real meaningful way this year it sounds good but i think there are other factors behind um what drove the the guilt crisis in september 2022 which we which we ignore at our peril and we just purely blame it on evidently poor uh, political management from Liz Truss.
1: Well, I mean, you pointed this presciently, you pointed this out last November, that the world faces a tsunami of government debt in a piece you wrote for Bloomberg Opinion then. And, you know, looking at those those bond auction headlines this morning, it seems like there's great interest in buying UK government debt. What could dent that?
6: Well, (laughs) the fact of too much supply at the wrong time. Which is always a, a difficult um, balancing act. But I mean, clearly, guilts at the moment have sold off quite sharply this start of this year, like a lot of bond markets, but more than others. And they deserve to be, you know, treated a little bit with a with a with a stick from time to time guilts gilts. But they 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 shouldn't be doing. Uh, is that poking it with a stick
1: ones. or hitting it with a stick?
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think more hitting actually. Uh, it feels like that it has done for the last year or two. But I mean, I just think that um, you know, interest rates will come down, possibly quite sharply over the course of this year. And that's going to be by far the bigger um, uh, effect on bond yields than than anything I think the politics uh, can do, because I don't think politicians can promise anything big, um, anything meaningful, certainly for this year, because the one, thing, the one thing that Sunak and Hunt have learned is that they have to keep, the only thing they've got going for them at the moment is some element of stability. And yes, there will be tax cuts, and maybe they may be more than perhaps we should have, but nonetheless, I don't think it's going to rattle the score scoreboards really for, for the gilt market. As I said, much bigger influences from what goes on in th- from the Fed, in turn slowly but surely from the Bank of England. And indeed, really the bigger thing is is what happens with, with just with the supply demand balance. At the moment, clearly they've set up for, for for a bit of extra supply, and there's plenty of demand to take gilt down. I, I see no no real clouds on the horizon. <laughs>
4: Lucy, let me tell you the response to BlackRock's warning from the Economic Secretary to the Treasury, Bim Afalami. He said today, the bond markets are clear. Labour can't borrow to pay for their £28 billion a year unfunded spending commitment without risking a debt crisis. That means the only way to pay for Keir Starmer's flagship 2030 promise is higher taxes. The thing is, BlackRock's warning isn't just about Labour's spending plans, is it? Marcus highlighted the risk of cutting taxes too much at the budget which taxes are they potentially thinking about cutting
5: it's worth noting you know that the 28 billion that that Burma is referring to there uh, is a promise that's already been scaled back so this is the 28 yeah. billion of green investment um that was originally going to be 28 billion a year now it's an aim for labor to be spending 28 billion pounds a year by the second half of parliament so you know the both of political parties you know major political parties are alive to the fact that they need to be careful here i think in terms of tax cuts you know we're hearing talk on um inheritance tax um you know there's various other areas that the chancellor is is looking at at the moment but i think a lot of it's going to depend on um just how much headroom he has and just you know where the areas are that are that are proving popular among among voters um it's worth noting that you know as well as the you know kind of traditional Tory voters that the, the the Tory Party will want to keep on side, it does need to kind of look at attracting younger votership as well. You know we've we've seen various studies over the last few months showing that the uh, millennial generation are the first uh, generation that aren't becoming more conservative as they get older. So we need to kind of uh, or, or the you know major political parties need to be looking at getting that um, that kind of generation on side. Um, It is worth saying as well, as Marcus mentioned, that we have seen record demand um, for the 20-year bond auction this morning. So, you know, clearly some of those fears aren't quite coming alive just yet. But
1: Marcus, what could it be then that might actually upset the bond markets from a political front? Do you think there's just nothing that any politician in the UK is going to do that might actually cause another rupture, not perhaps on the scale of of Liz Truss, but, you know, is is there anything that you'd be be worried about or even watching out for from... The,
6: the currently, the Bank of England. It's the Bank of England we have to worry about more uh, in the political sense that they do not cut interest rates um, uh, uh, align with perhaps what the Fed may do or even ECB. That will cause lots of pro- political problems. Um, I think that's the one sort of hidden thing which uh, Hunt and Sunak really want to see is uh, a series of rate cuts because that's about the only form of uh, economic momentum they could they could uh, well certainly could benefit from. Whether they see it or not, it, we shall see. But likewise, as I mentioned before, on, on the uh, active quantitative tightening program, the sales of gilts by the Bank of England, that's something which it which hangs over the market, uh, particularly at the longer end. Um, that That's something which could, could rear up at some point. Um, but, you know, it, it's going back to Liz Trust thing. It was the nature and the type of, of taxes that they tried to cut and ha- how they went about it, which was a combination. It ran straight into a sort of... Hidden monster of a of, uh, uh, you know liability-driven investment sort of pension crisis was, was lurking behind the that, surface. And has that
1: has that monster been vanquished now? Is that does that become a risk no. again at any point?
6: Uh, it's not as big a risk as it's now a known known. But it's certainly um, something which needs to be very carefully worked around. And the Debt Management Office are, are very conscious of this. They've been warning for quite some while that the need for long duration is is, is nowhere near as much as it used to be. Um, that sort of fell on deaf ears when, obviously, from the furlough scheme onwards, the need to borrow more um, reared up under, under Rishi Sunak. The second the trust got into power, she thought that she could ignore the bond markets. I think that's a lesson to be very, very well learned in the UK now, hence why I think Hunt and Sunak are very conscious of sticking well within the OBR guidelines as far as they can stretch them. And they already have by extending the, the, the horizon out to five years. But we all know there's a big problem coming um into the next parliament whereby you know there's no way the spending um can stay where it is in taxes uh, remain as they are There just is a, a massive shortfall so it is a big you know and gilts have priced i think a lot of that in and, and certainly we've seen from the how the u.s treasury market has worked you know people can price supply in over time and i think that's already been done as i said rate hikes are, have ended i think rate cuts are the order of play for this year i think that's going to be far bigger Dynamic and how quickly the, the central banks, you know, are dragged into realizing that they have perhaps overdone rate hikes. That that'll be a bigger influence on politics. However, you know, clearly um, I, I think Lucy's explains very clearly what's happened with um, Labour's promises, and I think they will water that down even further, because they again they've learned the lesson that offering to spend 28 billion may sound good, but the knock-on effect for the criticism they get from the media and elsewhere, and potentially bond markets, just isn't worth the risk. So. I think we'll have a very, very cautious and and sort of quite tight, tightly bound uh, spending campaigns, should we say, tax cutting campaigns in the next few months.
4: And Maybe some unhappy front benchers on Labour's side. Lucy, when we're thinking about higher yields, it feeds into another story you've been following today about student loans. The Institute for Fiscal Studies says that the Treasury is facing a hit of more than £10 billion per year
5: as higher interest rates push up the cost of financing student loans. Why is that? So previously, the interest um, charged on student loans was higher than the interest uh, on government borrowing. Um, so that meant that for loans that were repaid, obviously, the government was always going to take a loss on loans that weren't repaid in full. But for, for now for, for loans that are repaid, um, it can no longer expect to make a profit. So that's because yields now are looking higher than expected um, RPI, uh re- mm. Retail Retail price price inflation, inflation, yeah. yeah. Um, And the government's now looking at an average loss of 15,200 per person, uh, per student. That's in the cohort starting last year. So it's potentially, you know, the, the numbers are big, as mentioned, you know, 10 billion pounds. But at the same time, it's not going to directly affect um, Jeremy Hunt's planned tax cuts because of the way that student loans are treated in the official statistics. The wider point that this is expressing is that, you know, it is becoming more expensive for the government to borrow. But at the same time, you know, as we saw, as we heard Marcus say, um, you know, there are growing expectations for rate cuts next year uh, from the Bank of England. Mm. And that should help to temper some of those pressures. Um, You know, we had uh, Oxford Economics saying at the end of last year that that some of those, uh, you know, growing expectations for rate cuts um, over 2024 Mm. uh, had left the Chancellor with an extra £11 billion of headroom. Um, At the same time, we've got, You know, in November alone, we had government debt costs reaching 7.7 billion, which was the highest November on record. So, it's a tricky picture.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's sort of, it feels like it's layers every time that we look at kind of costs like these being ad, added up. And as you say, the risks of higher uh, costs of borrowing uh, appearing unpleasant, as unpleasant surprises in many parts of uh, the government's uh, balance sheet. Marcus Ashworth, our Bloomberg Opinion columnist, thank you very much. And to Lucy White as well, our UK economy reporter, for talking us through those stories as we're thinking about what markets might be thinking about when we're thinking about a general election, which we think is going to be happening in the second half of the year.
4: <laughs> no, from bond market drama to drama on screen the post office accounting scandal reenacted for britain's tv watching public by itv is continuing to dominate conversations in westminster ministers say that the company behind the faulty computer system may have to compensate those who were wrongly convicted of theft in a public inquiry finds the firm responsible our reporter sabar meddings has been following the story and she joins us in the studio now sabar this story came to the fore again thanks to the ITV drama. Can you firstly just remind us, for anyone who's not been watching, what the origin of the scandal is?
0: It really is quite hard to um, just explain how awful this is and how many years this has actually been going on. Um, the post office horizon scandal originated well, really in the, sort of the early 2000s when um, the post office, which is owned by the government in, here in the UK, decided to upgrade its computer system across thousands of post office branches across the UK. It got the Japanese um, computer company Fujitsu to design the software. It was a snazzy new till, everything was going to be automated, digitalized and it really sort of replaced, um, you know, written ledgers in these post office branches um, with with computers, with tills. What happened quite early on is these postmasters, sub-postmasters, these are people who kind of operate a branch and may have a convenience store with a post office counter in there as well, they began to notice shortfalls in the till. They began to see, you know, one day perhaps it might be a few hundred pounds, uh, a few thousand pounds, and then all of a sudden these these men and women who operate in these branches found that they were having to cough up thousands of pounds to replace money that they'd been accused of um, stealing. Um ultimately what happens with the Post Office um decided to prosecute these these sub postmasters. The post office has powers of private prosecution. Um hundreds are prosecuted. They they went to jail, they were bankrupted, um, some even lost their lives, they lost everything. And here we are, um, twenty five years later, and, and some of those early um victims are still fighting for justice.
1: Yeah, I mean it's an it's an absolutely incredible story and, and- being brought to the fore because, as we say, of this TV series. So that's stoked public outrage over this issue. Although it's fair to say there has been quite a lot of outrage over it for quite a lot of time now. That's in turn prompting politicians to call for action. What actually are politicians looking to try and do about this now?
0: Well, I mean, we've, we've already got a public inquiry that it's meant to be looking into what happened, who's responsible and why there is a compensation scheme um, but and you know and, and those that were prosecuted are um, seeking to have their convictions overturned. So there are kind of there are steps in motion already. But what's really happened with this drama that has got an um, extraordinary number of people interested that politicians are now having to kind of speed up um, speed up their efforts. Whether that will include expediting the hearings, whether it will be fast tracking the appeals process, whether it will just kind of a mass exoneration of all these um, people that have been um, convicted. So I mean there's kind of there's, there's talks daily about how to speed this up Um, 150 million has been paid so far but 1,500 of 4,000 people are yet to be compensated so there's there's you know there's a lot of demand there's public outcry politicians want to get this fixed quickly now that all of a sudden despite knowing about it for years and having an inquiry and being aware of the facts um, there is more mass pressure on this point
4: Let's talk about the blame game, because I wonder whether politicians are taking enough blame over this. And conversely, Kemi Badenoch, the Trade and Business Secretary, says that journalists weren't interested enough in this issue at the time either. So is it really all politicians' fault?
0: Gosh, it really does. I mean, the, the fingers could be pointed everywhere, really. I mean, the first journalist wrote a story about it in 2009, um, that was in Computer Weekly, and over time, I mean, there have been um, people looking at it. But I mean, there's there's business, there's business chiefs, there's kind of people that were um, running the on the board of the Post Office um, on behalf of the government that have gone on to run um, some of the UK's largest companies now. You know, what did they know? Mm. Um, politicians that um, were, you know, on all all parties um, were involved in some way at some point, whether they're responsible with Post Office, whether they were, they were, you know, the campaigners say that they warned. Everyone from Ed Davy to Vince Cable to a whole host of, of big names. So, um, and Fujitsu as well. I mean, the company that designed this software, and, and um, you know, so they say was aware of these, these some of these problems with the system. I think there's a you know there is a there is a bit of a blame game. There's also the inquiry that you know people are you know will seek to find out some of these answers. Um, I mean, it's just. The, the list goes on.
1: Yeah, and and it is, and I'm glad you remind us that it has been reported on since 2009 as well, because there is a sense that perhaps while there's a lot of attention being paid to it now, that nothing is being done for a long time, and that's certainly what's added to the frustration of these people who've gone through these incredibly long um, trials as well. Um, of course, the post office case is is a story that's you know suddenly shot to prominence, as we've been saying. This is something that, of course. You know, S- Sabah fits into your your brief as knowing everything that's going on in the UK business. Um Do you think there are other stories out there that we should expect to see featured in ITV documentaries? Are there big things that are not documentaries, even drama series, in the coming years? Are there big stories yet yet to be told or yet to be highlighted that perhaps have gone a bit under the radar because they haven't gotten the the star-studded small screen treatment?
0: I mean, I'd love you'd love to see it, whether it's kind of the the COVID contracts or mm. Thames Water or, or other things, but I think. The issue with this story is that these are not um, high-profile business victims or high-profile, big investors who could afford expensive lawyers to to get their case heard. These are sort of they, these are sort of you know sometimes they might be sort of semi-retired or you know they'd moved to you know they had one business so although um you know there are other stories that do get much more sort of high profile whether it's lcf or um or other things but perhaps the reason why this this one just didn't it was because people were so hurt and tortured from from what had happened to them that they didn't want to kind of speak up or have the energy to do it or they'd you know they had health problems or or they were sort of struggling to survive so maybe that's why this story needed this big ITV drama to get the prominence
4: a uh, very serious question for you our hotshot business journalist who would play you in the movie <laughs> God, i'm not going there
3: <laughs> dangerous
0: question
1: um answer uh, answers in a postcard please okay Sabah uh, Meddings, so thank you very much for joining us um our uk business reporter there uh, bringing us up to date on what's been discussed in westminster around that post office horizon scandal
4: Now, the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, has a survey out that shows that business volumes contracted for the first time in three and a half years. And although headcounts up, there's uncertainty about the investment outlook, hugely important for anyone who wants to lead the UK uh, through the next few years. And the chief economist at the CBI, Louise Helm, joined us here at Bloomberg Radio. She spoke to Tom McKenzie and Caroline Hepker earlier today. Take a listen
3: we've had a, a disappointing output in the services uh, for this quarter where we did see business volumes contract. And as you say, that was the first time since June 2020 as well. We do expect volumes to be broadly flat over the next three months. So I think that um, hopefully there is a bit more optimism going forward, but a disappointing outlook at the moment.
2: What does what the employment situation uh, currently look like, uh, Louise? Louise?
3: So I think, as you said, we did see um, Headco growth uh, accelerate over the quarter and speaking to many businesses in the financial services sector, they are still looking at specific skills that they want to expand on, particularly after the really tough um, recruitment environment that we have had over the last couple of years. Um, but I think that overall, when we're looking at labour market um, demand and looking at banking across the board, we are seeing those coming off quite a lot. Uh, and I expect that to continue going into the next year as well we expect broadly in terms of the wider economy that we will see a bit of an uptick in unemployment.
1: Firms do expect to carry out some investments though, Um, how much do you think that that can actually be put down to the Chancellor's full expensing being made permanent so this is this tax break for making certain investments if you're a company, how how much are firms uh, investing?
3: so when we're speaking to businesses and this is a measure that we expect to have a big impact on their investment plans and is one of the reasons why we were championing the policy uh, so strongly particularly that permanence and the certainty that that would give to businesses investment and you can see actually from this survey that it is the first time that fs firms expected to increase investment in vehicles plants and machinery which is the area that this uh, measure particularly benefits. So I think that's really positive going forward and it, it, those kind of permanent, stable measures that we need to see in the tech space to really give confidence and investment going forward.
2: How much clarity do we have on the role that artificial intelligence is playing within financial services and could be playing in the months ahead as these new models keep being published or at least new models being put on the market and the likes of OpenAI and, uh, and Google's DeepMind?
3: So I think that's a really interesting question. So... Many of the businesses that I'm speaking to at the moment, this is a really big area of interest for them. I think, to be honest, uh, there's still a big question about to what extent these uh, types of models can be integrated at least across the board. But I think financial services are definitely at the forefront of that. So um, it's a really um, great area and hopefully one where the UK can really be at the forefront of, of adopting some of this new technology.
1: How do you rate the UK's appeal to foreign investors right now in terms of investment into financial services in the UK, obviously one of our key industries in Britain?
3: So I think the UK still remains incredibly attractive uh, when we look at the global um, stage. I think obviously there has been a lot of uncertainty both globally and particularly in the UK in the last year or so. But it it is an area that continues to attract investment, and obviously that is something that we particularly champion around the benefits that investing in the UK can bring, not only to the UK market itself, but globally as well.
2: Louise, it is, of course, a big year or likely to be a big year in terms of UK politics. Very likely we get an election this year, if not, uh, of course, the first part of, uh, of 2025. How much confidence does the CBI have in the the Labour Party, given, of course, the advantage they have currently in the polls to support the UK's financial services sector?
3: So. Um as you'll know, this, the CBI is obviously uh, politically neutral in all this and we're engaging with with all uh, main political parties. We had a lot of engagement with the Labour Party itself. And actually, I think the fact that there is quite a lot of engagement at the moment is incredibly positive. Um again, with all parties, there'll be lots of areas that we do agree on uh, and some that we've got a lot more uh, distance to. I think one of the big things that we're calling for, and, and again, I'd like to see this from, from everybody is around Um, the financial services uh, green uh, strategy and making sure that we are um, making sure that the financial services sectors can play its role on the road to net zero as well. So that's an area that we really want to see a lot of movement on from, from all main political parties. So that was CBI Chief Economist
4: Louise Helm there. Interesting to hear her saying that businesses too are keeping a close eye on the bond markets. So I'll continue my dance, Stephen.
1: I look forward to seeing its next appearance. That is it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen.
4: This episode was produced by James Walcock, and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Lizzie Verdon.
1: And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg
2: UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio
6: in London.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka.
6: And I'm Skip Bronson.
3: And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies?
6: You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun.